Welcome to What Healthy Couples Know That You Don't, a podcast dedicated to helping you create the relationship you truly want. And now, here's your host, licensed psychotherapist, Rhoda Mills Summer. Welcome to Episode 15, How to Approach Difficult Problems in a Relationship. This episode is in response to my very first audience request, which I was thrilled to get. I'm always rattling on about how you have to learn to talk about hard things in relationships, so it seems like an excellent idea to discuss what's required to be successful. I'm going to cover four different ideas and then offer a bonus point. Number one, courage. Courage is the quality I would pick to sprinkle on the world to make it a better place. In a world that is full of avoiding and deflecting, so it is all too easy to say, oh, let's not talk about that now. You have to care enough about yourself to bring things up, especially if your partner is more invested in avoiding because they like the status quo. Let's use the example of mistreatment when the other person is drinking. Don't talk about serious things when drinking, ever. But a good way to soften a hard topic is to acknowledge they are probably not aware of it. I believe the first thing to go when drinking is self-awareness. And stay on topic. Don't let it be dismissed because there's a lot of sidestepping going on. No, this did not happen as a one-off. It's happened two or three times. And I'm really concerned because I don't want it to become a pattern. Then get agreement that it won't happen again. That's what you want. Always ask for what you want. If you can't let go of feeling mistreated, I honestly believe your soul is talking to you and saying, this is not okay. Pay attention. What's most important is don't give up without trying to find your courage. Number two, Can you accurately reflect to your partner their point of view or position on things? It's a lot easier when someone feels heard to listen to a different point of view. Also, make it an us problem instead of a you problem. So this is a little bit of a two-parter. Let's take the topic of lack of sex as an example. I believe this is one of the toughest subjects to bring up. I know that sex doesn't seem to matter as much to you because you are working so hard to get ahead, but it is a great stress reliever, and I'd like to talk about what makes it so hard for both of us to make it happen more often. Maybe we can figure it out together instead of both of us avoiding it. Number three, present your desires without nagging or bitching. A negative tone squelches the possibility for dialogue. 
Give the other person room to say what's important to them, especially if you don't want to hear it. I want you to consider the idea that you need to hear it because reality really matters. I'm going to repeat that as much because so many people avoid reality. When my doctor told me I had high cholesterol and was pre-diabetic five and a half years ago, I needed to hear that harsh truth. And I decided to exercise every day. And I've stayed committed six or seven days a week as much as I don't love it. Reality really does matter. And that's a lot of what therapy is about trying to deliver that message. If the reality is that you want kids and he doesn't, then you need to move on. You can't keep pretending that he will change his mind. The only question is, do you want to give up on kids as a possibility? If he remains vague, it might be because he is happy with the status quo. You may be participating in accepting the vagueness because you don't want to go back to being single. Dating can be a very gruesome business, but you have to decide what matters to you and then have the self-respect to go after it instead of what so many people do. Ignore it and then let the resentments build up over time and become poisonous to the relationship. Number four, do both of you recognize that sacrifices must be made? One test of love is that both people must invest in making sacrifices to help each other out. If only one person makes all the sacrifices, then this doesn't count. In 1975, I loved my job working at a settlement house in an African-American neighborhood. My husband had tried three different work positions since graduation and wasn't really happy in any of the three. I encouraged him to take a risk of going into business for himself, which meant leaving behind my job and a location where we were close to family. We had no money, and I really wanted him to find success, so we took a big risk and moved to Pittsburgh, a city we had never even visited until we decided to move there. I still remember we got lost driving into town, and we ended up on Penn Avenue. And we followed it out because we were pretty overwhelmed with the size of the city coming from the small upstate New York town of Rochester, New York. We went into two realtors' offices, and they made fun of us because we were looking for a diverse neighborhood, which we were living in, in Rochester. Thirty years later, we have achieved this in Pittsburgh, but they made fun of us. We learned that many, many people rented April 30th to May 1st. And that meant there wasn't hardly anything available. 
So it's June. We're in Pittsburgh eating in a diner. Sure, we'd made a terrible mistake. And what I'm proud of is that even at that young age, I did not scapegoat my husband. It didn't even occur to me. We'd taken this risk together. We were a team even then. I was crying at the phone booth in the big end department store in East Liberty. And the cashier said, you know, is there something wrong? So we explained, and she said, my manager knows everybody. Why don't you talk to him? I'll go get him. He came back, and he made a connection with a realtor in Morningside called Jack Leahy. And Jack said, this was a Saturday, I'm driving around a student from Carnegie Mellon. I'll show him everything. He gets first dibs. If he says it's okay, you can ride in the back seat and get a tour of Pittsburgh. I still remember sitting on the door stoop of the realtor's office, waiting for Jack and thinking, we'll take anything. We had six days to move in. The student picked and Jack dropped him off. And he turned to us in the back seat and he said, I've got another little house to show you. It was two blocks from Jack's office. We called it the Pink Pepto-Bismol house and we loved it. You could tape bacon on the ceiling of the top floor and it would have fried because there was no insulation and we didn't care. It was a treasure, our first home in Pittsburgh for $160 a month. We paid for two and a half months and back then there was no fax, there was no computer, they couldn't check our credit, but the landlord was willing to accept the money. Part two of this story is really about Jack. We moved in a week later. Our friends, Linda Emery and Jim, had to drive the standard shift truck up the hills of Pittsburgh. Moving in, once again, I was crying because the couch wouldn't fit up the stairs and there was nowhere else to put it. And Jack arrived with a big tray of beer and a big tray of Pepsi. He said, oh, let's take a break and everybody have a refreshment and I will measure the couch and we will figure this out. And he did. The kindness of strangers will never be forgotten. Pittsburgh is a great place. However, it was our ability to make sacrifices and decide to be a team that really made it work. When you make sacrifices for each other, then you believe in each other and you can take risks into the uncomfortable unknown because you have the certainty of being a team. You are in it together. And sacrifice is really the only way to get there of feeling like a team, in my experience. I've already mentioned the couple on TV that demonstrates all of these four qualities. They're on Madam Secretary. They're outstanding in being there for each other, 
They are clearly a team that sacrifices for each other, and they disagree with respect. What more could you want? I'm going to add my last bonus idea, which is not about approaching in a relationship. It is about approaching within yourself. Let's consider happiness, which is like chasing after a chicken that does not want to be caught. Number five, recognize that happiness is a byproduct, not an end goal. People imagine more money will make them happy when the research says 70000 is where happiness taps out. The Week magazine of November 24, 2015 reported that happiness is not high in the United States because Americans are isolated, feeling a lack of connection, and also due to poor work-life balance. Americans work longer hours and take less vacation time than those in any other developed nation. Feeling happy requires knowing what really matters and an adjustment to expectations. There will never be one single relationship that can satisfy all your needs. So don't blow things up because you demand too much or accept too little because you are afraid to be alone. Everyone tilts one way or the other. The secret to success lies in the middle ground. Try to figure out if you demand too much or too little. It's important to be self-aware and recognize your own problems in order to be part of a healthy couple. So I always end with a challenge. And my challenge to you today is to ask you to stop and ask yourself, what have you sacrificed for your partner and or the relationship? Consider whether the sacrificing is lopsided or mutual. Do you feel like a team in it together because you both have sacrificed without resentment? Does your partner sidestep certain topics because they have already described a reality that you choose to ignore? Do you work yourself up into a dogmatic monologue about all you are unhappy with? Or do you try to address issues calmly? Can you present issues with an us point of view of how you both contribute to the problems in the relationship? And finally, ask yourself, what have you been avoiding that you need to find more courage to talk about? Thanks for listening. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Rhoda on Couples. Or get tons of free information at therapyideas.net. Or contact me at healthycouples at outlook.com.